The first reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And this may be found on page 1173 of the Church Bible or on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The second reading is taken from John chapter 1, verses 9 to 18 and can be found on uh, page 1063 of the Bibles and, of course, on the screens in front of you. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, 
because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at his Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Well, can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open? Uh, We are going to be looking firstly and foremostly at the Ephesians passage, which was read earlier, and that was on page 1173. So if you could kindly flick to that, that would be wonderful. From that prologue in John we heard, which is probably one of the most masterful pieces of uh, introduction ever written, that Jesus Christ is the one who's giving us blessings after blessings, or in other translations, grace upon grace. And I want us to think about this morning briefly, in this season just after Christmas, where we've celebrated Christ's coming, is what are those things, those blessings, those graces that God has given to us through Christ. And this reading in Ephesians is full of them. But before we dig in, let's pray together. Lord, we do give you thanks for your word. We pray now that we might rightly understand it, that it might become a word to us personally, and that it might change our lives. In your name we ask this. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a story. Uh, there was an American megachurch meeting in which a very wealthy person stood up and said this, I am a millionaire and I attribute my wealth to the blessings of God in my life. He was quite arrogant and smug about this and he went on to say why. The turning point of his faith was when, as a young man, he had just earned his first wage packet and he withdrew it straight away and was carrying it with him and he felt compelled to go into church. And he heard the most amazing message he's ever heard. And he he knew as the collection plate came round, he was either going to have to give it all or nothing at all. And he said, I chose to give everything that I had there and then. And because of that, God has blessed me in my life. I'm now a millionaire, look at me. And God can do the same in your life. And then he sat down, the room was in awe and in silence until one little old lady leant over to him and whispered in his ear, I dare you to do it again. (laughs) Dare you to do it again. See, we're thinking about this morning blessings that God gives to us, and we don't want to be silly about it on this topic, but we do want to rightly understand and actually thank God for the blessings he gives to us. This is the last service of this calendar year. It perhaps is appropriate that at the end of a year we should be thinking about the blessings we've received over it, reflecting, going into retrospect. I know that on the TV there are a number of programmes that go through the year, various events and what's happened. I wonder if you're going to be doing that personally, thinking back. What's been good, what's been bad, what's been middling? The old hymn writer commends us to count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. I commend you to do that, perhaps. 
But I'm aware that for some, it might have been a very tough year. And actually, as you count those blessings, you probably only just count them on one hand. For others, it might have been a wonderful year. But whatever type of year that you have had, here in this passage are blessings that we've all been given last year, this year, and every year. There are seven, actually, if you look at it. Seven that everyone can add to their total of blessings they've received this year. Paul begins with the statement in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Notice the emphasis on the word every. Not just some or a few, but every. And he's writing to everyone here. Every one of you has received every spiritual blessing. God's not hidden any away to be given to just the select few. Do you come in? Or not? Probably having more fun in there, I think. God's not hidden any blessings away just for the select few. He's given all of them to every single one of us that have put our trust in Christ. This is for everyone here. And in what follows, actually, these next 11 or so verses, he explodes in worship because of them. In the original language, there are no full stops, there are no commas even. It's just one streamless statement of praise about what God has given to us. He forgets the rules of good grammar, and you've got to feel for the person that was transcribing this probably. He has to keep up with Paul as he proclaims these blessings that we've been given. And there are roughly seven, and I just want us to look at them very briefly at the end of this year. The first one, blessing number one in verse four, that we have been chosen. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is the blessing that says God saw you before all time and eternity and said, you are going to be mine. I choose you. You see, many of you perhaps thought that when you first put your faith in Christ, or were perhaps drawn to think about the idea of God himself, that that was your doing. You were doing the exploring. That actually that you were somehow seeking him out. But the Bible says actually it was very much the other way. He was seeking you out because he had chosen you. He said, you, you're going to be mine and I'm seeking you out. And many of you perhaps know just circumstances and situations where God was doing that, hemming you in behind and before on either side, directing your way to him. He chose you. C.S. Lewis, speaking about his own conversion experience, said, I never had the experience of seeking God to try and find him out. It was more like he was the hunter and I was the prey. And he took unerring aim and fired. And he couldn't resist it. I don't know if many of you have been at school and had that experience of being in front of a, a lineup and teams have been chosen. And the captains are choosing who they're going to have on their team. And perhaps they choose the best players or their favourite friends. And you're desperately hoping maybe they'll choose me next. What Paul is saying here is that God chose you first every time. He chose you. You're not an accident. It's not an accident that you're here with his people, 
It's not an accident that you're following him. He chose this for you. That's the first lesson. We're chosen by him. Secondly, Paul says the, one of the biggest blessings we've received is that we're adopted by him. Verse 4 and 5, he says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This the idea that as Christ is God's son, in Christ we are his sons. Now, specifically, Paul says sons, not daughters here, and there's a reason for that. Because sons in that culture were the inheritors. They got the full blessing of the father. Unfortunately, daughters didn't. So that's why the imagery is being used of sons of God specifically. And if that's hard for you to... Uh, to deal with, especially if you are a female in the place, well, just remember that us blokes have to somehow be the bride of Christ, which is also quite a struggle sometimes. I think sometimes they balance each other out. In the culture of the time, to be an adopted son, like this verse suggests, was to be given a huge privilege, actually perhaps greater than a natural son. Roman emperors of the time would adopt sons and make them their successors. It was never the natural sons, actually. It was always the adopted sons that were appointed as successors to be the next Roman emperor. And that's the imagery Paul is saying here. The great privilege of calling God our Father. He says, you're my son, you're my daughter. I've adopted you this day into my family. I'm your father. I'm aware as we think of these things, Many of us, perhaps, growing up have had great fathers, and we praise God for that. Some of us, middling fathers. Some of us, not so great fathers. And some of us, absent fathers. This perhaps has been heightened for some this Christmas. But whatever your earthly father was like, nothing compares to what God your father is like. He overshadows it all. He's the perfect father who loves you with a perfect father's love. At best, fathers are a glimpse of this. At worst, they're nothing like this. God, your father, who loves you. St. Augustine once said that if the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, it would cry out like the resounding oceans, the father loves you. This is such a blessing. The Father loves you. In that parable of the prodigal son, he's the Father who sees you when you've messed up and runs towards you when you turn towards him. Or he's the Father that even when you're bitter and angry with him, he comes out and pleads and says, come in, come into the party, come back to me. He is the perfect Father and we're his children. Well, that's the second lesson. We've been adopted Thirdly, we've been redeemed. Verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. And the imagery here is of slavery and the redemption price that it would cost anyone to set a slave free, including the slave themselves. If they saved up enough money, they could redeem themselves and set themselves free. But more often the case was that someone else paid that redemption price and unfortunately, that slave would then become the slave of that person. And there'd be a chain of passing slaves from one master to another. But what Paul is saying here 
is that Jesus sets us free from a slavery that we could never pay for ourselves to get out of. We never could pay this redemption price. And when he sets us free, he sets us free to something so much better, a life lived for God, which actually is no slavery at all. It's a life of freedom. The Bible says whatever overcomes a person, by that he is enslaved, he or she is enslaved. And it speaks about the fact that this slavery is a slavery to sin. The idea that actually we want to do what's right in life. Most of us would say that. We want to do what is right. But there always seems to be something dragging us in the opposite direction. So we can't do it completely. You might not be able to articulate it or speak about it clearly. But you know there's something in your life that means you can't be the person you want to be. And the Bible says there's a name for this, and it's called sin. It's power of guilt and condemnation that you just can't struggle your way free from. And what Christ did when he came was to take it upon himself, to destroy it from the inside out and set you free from it. I want you to imagine a picture of this, of an old-fashioned slave owner who has used a thick metal chain and shackle to enslave personal slaves, one after another. And they can't free themselves at all. But then I want you to imagine a rescuer coming and deliberately letting himself be put in these chains. But he's stronger than anyone else. And he destroys those chains for himself and for every single other person so that now they're set free. This is what Christ did at the cross for us. He came and was enchained. He took the slavery upon himself and broke it, paid the price through his own blood and set us free. He redeemed us from our sins. That was the third blessing. Fourthly, we have been forgiven. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace came across recently a story of a white soldier and an African black woman who confronted each other at the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission set up after the end of apartheid. And the soldier had taken away and killed her son and later had returned to the house and killed her husband. And at this meeting, the soldier asked her for forgiveness. And she said the following... You are asking for amnesty. I am asking for three things. Firstly, you dragged my son out of bed and took him away and killed him. I want to be taken to the place where his body is buried so that I can pay my respects to him. Next, you took away my husband and I never saw him again. I want to be taken to the place where he was shot so that I can see where it happened and pay my respects. And lastly, You've taken away my whole family, and I have no one to give my love to. So I want you to become my son and to come and drink tea with me once a week. And he did. He did. This is a glimpse of what God's forgiveness looks like. It isn't just a wiping away of the past things that we've done wrong. It's actually a replacement. Where there was condemnation, there's now a beckoning call to come and be with him. Where there was judgment, 
Now there's Christ's righteousness and spotless holiness given to us. Where there should have been punishment, there's just blessing upon blessing. This is his forgiveness that we receive through Christ who earned it at the cross. The Bible speaks of an image of this, of God, when he forgives us, putting our sins behind his back so that he can never see them again. They're just never seen again. As if it was possible for God to not see something, where he's put them behind his back. Wherever he turns, he can't see it again. And for you, actually, this year, if you know that there are things that you've just messed up in and you need God's forgiveness, this is the forgiveness he offers. Just never seen again. Wiped away and replaced with grace and love for you. His forgiveness. Well, that was a fourth blessing. He's forgiven us. Fifthly, the blessing of revelation. Verse 9, he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And this is the blessing that says that we can know God, and we can say it without arrogance. You can say to someone, I know God. I know his plans and purposes. I know the reason for the universe. I know what it's all about. To most people, if you said that, they would think you're stupid or deluded. But if God has actually done this, if he's revealed these things to us, then we can hold these things with confidence and gratitude. He's shown us these things through Christ. And not only that, because he's shown these things to us, it speaks of our relationship with him. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, because all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You can say to yourself, I am a friend of God. He shared his plans with me. Unbelievable for some, but I am God's friend. It's a privilege, it's a blessing. He's revealed what he wants in life. He's revealed who he is to us. He shared intimate details of himself to us. We're God's friends. In the 1991 film, The Green Card, Andy McDowell and Gerard Depardieu, I always pronounce his name wrong, apologies, uh, play a couple who try to have a forced marriage, a marriage of convenience. Andy McDowell plays an American woman who uh, marries a Frenchman so that he can get a green card to live and work in America. And this arrangement needs to pass a test from the immigration authorities. They need to pass a test to see if they actually do know each other or not. And so they spend weeks memorising details about each other, all the way down to what kind of bathroom toiletries they use trying to pass this test. And then at the end of the film, the test comes. The guy turns up and he asks them all kinds of questions. And they nearly get through it all spotlessly, perfectly, apart from one error where the Frenchman's character gets the wrong shampoo. And he says, oh, I always forget that one. And the game is up. Now, of course, it's a rom-com, so they actually end up together for real and it all works out. But the point from that is that for us, we never get it wrong because God's word tells us who he is. 
God's Spirit in our lives leads us to know him, we actually can say that with confidence. We know him. We know who he is. We know what he's like. He's revealed himself to us. Lastly, I'm going to speed up. We are sealed with the Spirit. Verse 13, he says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And this speaks about God's intimate presence with you in your life here and now. Not there and then in Christ, in his earthly ministry, but here and now, today in 2015 and 2016 seem to be. And he says that this is a seal, this is a mark, a stamp almost, of God on your life saying, this person is mine. It comes from the idea of letters when letters were sealed with a wax stamp and each stamp had a special sign on it, special pattern that spoke about who was signing that seal. You remember in the Gospels that when the stone was rolled over the tomb at Jesus' grave that they put a, a Roman seal, a wax seal on it because it had the seal of the emperor. And if anyone broke it, it was certain death for them. Seals were very important, they were a personal mark. And God's presence in your life is his personal mark saying, I'm with you, I'm going nowhere, and you're mine. And this is forever. You can't break it. I've made my own seal, and I've stamped you very clearly with it. In World War II, the um, frontline soldiers used to get letters uh, sent to them by loved ones with the acronym SWALK, SWOG. It stood for sealed with a loving kiss. And this is the image here. Sealed with a loving kiss of the Spirit. God saying, you are mine. I'm with you. And if you've had a tough year, he's saying this now. You are mine and I'm with you. You can know this. You can know this today. And lastly, a guaranteed inheritance. I was in a coffee shop while I was uh, preparing this sermon. I seem to do my best writing there for some reason. And um, I overheard a conversation on the other end of the room. And just one single word that was this, have you been good enough this year? And it was to a child, and I assumed that the question was, have you been good enough this year for Santa to give you the presents you want? And this child looked back and kind of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to come. I'm not sure if I'm going to be given anything good. But with God, the answer that question is moot. It's irrelevant. Because what he promises to give us in the future is independent of how good we have been this year, how bad we've been this year, how messed up, how perfect we've been this year. His inheritance, what he has for us in the future, is guaranteed. Verse 14, carrying on from speaking about the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The imagery here is of coming of age, that inheritance that had been put in trust until we reach the right age to receive it. And for us, the right age is actually going to be the end of this life, which isn't actually the end of life itself, but the beginning of the coming of age of a new life. And when that happens, 
because Christ has promised this, Christ has purchased it, Christ has guaranteed it, we receive the most amazing inheritance of what's to come. The Bible says, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what God has prepared for those that have loved him and that he loves. You might be able to imagine glimpses of heaven or seeing some weird images of angels with wings and <laughs> pearly gates. I want you to take the best bits of this earth, get rid of all the rubbish, and magnify it by a factor of a million. And you get a glimpse of what's to come. And it's ours. Guaranteed. It is ours. God has promised it. Sealed us with his spirit as a mark of it. Purchased it by his blood of the cross. It's ours. It's to come. And if for you, you are worried about that, if you're worried about what's to come, let me tell you, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That's what Jesus promises. The best is yet to come. C.S. Lewis speaking about it allegorically. He talks about heaven as the place where each chapter is better than the one that preceded it. The chapters just get better and better and better. And this is ours. Well, let me list those blessings again. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've received revelation, we've been sealed by the Spirit, we've been guaranteed an inheritance. Let me end by saying, if these things are true, they should change our lives. We should be the happiest people on earth, as one person has put it. We really should be. Christians have a reputation for just looking glum and sad, like someone has stolen all of the Christmas lights. We should be the happiest people on earth because of these things. Let me end with a story, another, another film involving a Frenchman, actually. In the French film Jean de Florette, there is a hunchback called Marcel who inherits a farm. And when he inherits this farm, he tries to make a real go of it and invest in all the latest technology and methods and means to plant and to reap and to re-sow. But the farm fails spectacularly. Everything dies and he's left without much money. And he realises belatedly that he had everything in place apart from the key need, which was water. <laughs> there was no water. And so he actually goes all over the place trying to find water, he hires experts. He even dabbles on, in dowsing, which ends up in, down the wrong path. Eventually he thinks he's found water, and, so he, and it's underground, so he plants some explosives and in a very sad but French ending to a film, he blows himself up. His dying words are, I failed to see that water was the one problem. But then there's a sequel to this movie, and his daughter actually takes over the farm. And what she realises is that all along there was an underground stream of water running right under the, under the farm. And no one ever knew about it. It had been blocked up in the past. And she unblocks it, the river flows underground, and the farm bursts into life. And it's a good French ending to a film. And let me say that these blessings are like a river that can run through our lives. If we don't think they're there, if we think we need to look for them, well, it's just going to lead to dryness and barrenness and brokenness. But if we realise these are ours, given to us, it will cause life to flourish, to blossom. 
for the farm to produce fruits, for life to experience joy. These things are ours. Let's celebrate them. Amen. I invite you to stand.